the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy April 6, 2021. As I think, think some of these Georgia boycotting companies like Delta, organizations like MLB may, may be showing a little remorse or having second thoughts about what they did to and in Georgia. It remains to be seen whether those thinks and mays will be realized. At a minimum, I'm guessing within these C-suites, they are thinking or there is some thinking that we could have done things a little better, a little more smartly. As Byron York notes, on Sunday, the highlight, the headline of the Politico Playbook newsletter was the dangers of voting rights hyperbole. It pointed to an article by Nate Cohen in the New York Times, the same newspaper that it has done much, so much to stir up the Georgia hysteria, arguing, quote, that the law's voting provisions are unlikely to significantly affect turnout or Democratic chances. It could plausibly even increase turnout. In the final account, it will probably be hard to say whether it had any effect on turnout at all. Close quote. The short version of the argument is that laws affecting the convenience of voting don't really change turnout that much. Events and candidates change turnout. In the last two elections, Donald Trump changed turnout. In 2008-2012, Barack Obama changed turnout. Politico also pointed to a Twitter thread by Slate's Will Salatin, assessing that the law had some good parts, some bad parts, and some overhyped parts. One could take issue with some of Salatin's points, for example, his criticism that the law mandates a shorter window to request an absentee ballot. The old law allowed Georgia voters to request an absentee ballot 180 days before an election, which for a presidential election would mean requesting a ballot in May, when candidates have not even been formally chosen for a November election. Why is it a bad thing to change the date to August, as the new law did? On the other hand, Salatin praised the law because it requires at least one drop box per count, expands days, hours available for early in-person voting, requires polls with long waits to add staff or another precinct, and contains an online option for ballot applications already begun but now formalized. The point is that Salatin actually evaluated what was in the bill without the emotionalism that has marked so much of the so-called debate over it. It's a small set of voices, but they are good for internal common sense types in the C-suites of these corporations to be able to point to and circulate. Depending on how good the communications are out of Georgia and how good our movement is, from talk radio to Fox, I think Delta may soon be crying uncle. Delta cannot tell us why Georgia is out for them or in their corporate crosshairs, but they fly happily to China, Kuwait, and Cuba, where they stay silent about those countries' election laws and simply tout and promote their flights there. Where they, are not, where they are not asked about their election reform laws in those countries, Kuwait, Cuba, China, why are they not asked about their election reform laws in those countries? You know why they are not asked about election laws in those countries. 
there are no elections in those countries. Perhaps something a little worse than how the Georgia legislature wrote their law. No campaigns or campaign committees can hand you water, though others can, and you can bring your own, versus no people can vote. Maybe the entire corporate system in America needs lessons, not so much on what whiteness means and more on what our country means and the principles of such things as one man, one vote. The most important words being, of course, one and vote. Delta evidently loves all its destinations, even the ones that don't believe in men or vote. So companies like Delta and Coca-Cola will either fix their ways or go the way of CNN and MSNBC, becoming political loss leaders for the rest of their corporate structures. But here's a question. If there is a limiting principle for these companies in what they will and will not condemn, where they will and will not serve, the limiting principle clearly has to do with something about minority rights, doesn't it? Great. Now try China. Now try Cuba. In other words, the argument that they have to, like all businesses in China, they have to engage in the market share there. They can't consign it away. They can't give up the purchasing power or the consumer power in those countries because it's too valuable. Why is that only a principle of theirs in tyrannies and with slavery? In other words, why is that not a principle about the good old USA? Is our market share not worth whatever stupid and petty, much pettier, political differences you have with the United States? Is it harder to swallow what's going on in Georgia than what's going on in Xinjiang or Cuba? In other words, why are eyes wide open and financial spigots turned off here, but the eyes are shut and locked tight, and the financial spigots are turned on in tyrannies. They condemn the United States. They celebrate China. How is that a moral principle if the issue is minority rights or human rights or civil rights? So to walk back to the sprout of my point, these companies will either become American companies once again and course correct for slamming their fist or boot in the face of their own countrymen, or they will go the route of CNN and MSNBC and not care about American market share anymore. Woke ideology being so much more important than investor relations or corporate returns. It's a little easier, a little easier for a media company to do this. It's a little harder for other general corporations to, of a sudden, become niche interests and financial concerns. They may go there, but I'm agnostic. The tea leaves of the recent past, however, showing the trajectory of the drippings of the woke are not encouraging. John Hinderocker summarizes all this from the blog Powerline, quoting another. Here with a short course in wokeism that includes a happy ending. What were the execs of these mighty companies thinking, these knights of the boardroom, these capitalist geniuses, these moral nonpareils, when they canceled Atlanta's turn to host the midsummer all-star game to protest Georgia's passage of a law that requires voter ID? Surely that they were striking a righteous blow against systemic racism, no? And then the rest of the world realized almost immediately that Major League 
baseball requires online ticket buyers to show ID when they pick up their tickets at any stadium, and that Delta Airlines requires passengers, never mind employees, to show ID before being allowed to fly in one of their airplanes, and that various other corporations snookered into this latest hustle, such as Nike, Coca-Cola, and Calvin Klein, support forced labor in Asian nations that manufacture their products and have no elections. But who expects moral consistency from virtue signaling corporations? No one. Wokeness emerged on the scene in 2014 when the feckless teenager Michael Brown was shot to death by police officer Darren Wilson upon arrest in Ferguson, Missouri, an event that kicked off the Black Lives Matter movement. The moral panic BLM ignited proved to be a spectacularly effective device for repelling the truth of the situation and many more like it, which was that Michael Brown resisted arrest, fought with, and menaced menaced Officer Wilson before getting shot. And now, of course, we have George Floyd, so we can pour oil on this gas. With the help of their allies in the news media and the coddled faculty ideologues on campus, the Democrats fed this moral panic until it grew into an historic mass hysteria, every bit as insane as the witchcraft hysterias of the Middle Ages in Europe. Then Mr. Trump came along, and the insanity was dialed up to 11, beginning with the Russian collusion hoax and continuing throughout Trump's term in office. They kept it up for four years, using every device in the bureaucracy to drive Mr. Trump from office while deliberately gaslighting, hoaxing, misdirecting, and bamboozling the public. In the process, the Democratic Party became hostage to the worst elements among its supporters and foot soldiers, the race hustlers, the gender deranged, the criminal sociopaths, the limousine Marxists, the Wall Street Simlers, the Silicon Valley megalomaniacs, and even America's foreign adversaries, as evidenced by the Biden family's lucrative dealings with the party that runs China. All social hysterias run their course. They run out of new gags and out of new recruits. Their tropes grow tiresome, even comical, such as the woke mainstays of racism, misogyny, and white supremacy. Their promptings reveal themselves as obviously dishonest. The punishments they seek seem increasingly warped and sadistic. Their behavior they induce begins to look patently insane. Is that where America and Americans stand right now? Not sure yet. I am sure Americans are realizing when it comes to things like at least... Immigration, the who had it, right? Meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. The question is, will we stop bowing to the new revolution, or will we get fooled again? And will we see a cessation of bowing when the next wave of wokeness takes hold? What will it be? Probably transgendered children, school sports. I can't imagine that will prove acceptable. I do imagine that people thought they had just had to go along with it to stay in step. But the steps, they may be realizing, are leading to a dungeon. And there, there be dragons. I'm Seth Leibson. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to also welcome back Chris Llewellyn, who will be producing Pro Tem today. Welcome, Chris. Bill will be back tomorrow. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Excellent. Good. That's an improvement. That's an improvement. That's good. I like that. Is it? Yeah. Earlier it was, eh. 
begging the question why I would ask you again, and the answer presented itself, that you have improved. Ah. See, the human condition is not permanently in the same place fixed all for all times. The argument about income inequality. People change. People move on in their lives. They experience better things. You have moved from good to great or excellent. Hot microphone, yeah. Asking me, also asking me how I'm doing on uh, the airwaves. So I'm doing great. Yeah. Well, you would never say anything untrue never. on air. Never. So things have improved. I'm glad to hear it. That is the problem with the arguments about income inequality, by the way, if I can just make a point. Whenever you see a study on it, please understand that they're not measuring one person over the course of their his or her lifetime, right? People do change. People grow out of the middle class. People grow out of poverty. They're not measuring that at all when they talk about income inequality. What they're talking about, frankly is a certain stasis in a certain sub huh a snapshot yeah a snapshot of uh that that never changes much actually because there is a a a, a sub uh, a sub economic uh socioeconomic status in this country a low socioeconomic status in this country that doesn't change much as a percentage of the population it doesn't change much and hasn't since uh, the Great Society of 1965 forward, the poverty levels just haven't moved that much. Um, and while people in poverty have left poverty, and people who have left poverty have in many cases become uh, middle class or well-to-do or very, very, very well-to-do, there is still this starting basis point of a poverty rate somewhere in the 12 to 13 percent. And... I think that's right, somewhere around 12%, 13%. hasn't moved much. And we have spent the kind of money that should move those things that much. Do you know what we've spent on welfare programs in the Great Society since 1965? Take yeah, a guess. I couldn't even... Yeah, give me a guess. Since 1965? Yeah, what has this country spent on welfare? Trillions, right? Yeah. Uh, seven and a half trillion. It's a good guess. And off by a factor of four or five, closer to $30 trillion. Wow. Closer to $30 trillion. And we can't move that needle. So the question becomes, how do you move that needle? I had no idea I was getting into this. This was not something I was in any way prepared to talk about today, but I love it. It's an important issue. How do you move the needle of poverty? You've heard it on every platform Salem has. It has been the same exact recipe, the same exact recipe, not menu, recipe that every social science researcher into this has shown, which is finish high school, finish high school, don't have a child before marriage. Get married. You do those three things, and the chances that you are or will be or remain poor are so negligible, are so negligible, you're talking somewhere in the 2 to 3% range. And there's not very many government programs, whether they cost $1 trillion or $100 billion, that can alter people's behavior significantly enough such that they want to finish high school and they want to get married and they want to have a child if they want to have a child after marriage. Could you throw some public service announcements around? Yes, you could. 
Um, could you have the president of the United States speak about it from time to time? Yes, you could. Could you um, have better high schools that maintain children's interests more? Yes, you could, but also understand it's better elementary schools and better, kin- better kindergarten schools, too. I've always liked what Bob Keeshan said. You know that name, Chris Luo? I bet you do. Bob Keeshan is the real name for Captain Kangaroo. Do you remember Captain Kangaroo? I do remember Captain Did you ever watch it? A little past my time. You did? Familiar. Great children's show. Uh, or Yeah, and, and Bob Keeshan was a bit of an education expert. And he made a great point once. Made a great point. He said, children don't drop out in the 10th or 11th grade. They drop out in kindergarten, and it just takes 11 years for them to make the final exit. The point being, you have to start focusing and honing children's interests and take them seriously very early. You can't wait till high school, certainly not senior year. And if you nurture our children rightly, if you nurture our children rightly, the chances that they will be interested in finishing high school and perhaps something more, or perhaps be interested in uh, the institution of marriage prior to having children. If you can get to that, you could change society. You could change not only society, you could probably change somewhere along the lines of 80% of our nation's social problems, probably 80 to 90% of our nation's social problems. Some government programs keep us safe and safer, but there's not a government program smart enough or big enough to solve the problems that fatherlessness and lack of educational opportunities and um, and uh, in sobriety, drug and substance abuse – there's not enough government problems to solve uh, – there's not enough government resources to solve those social problems without the individual and the family unit making more important decisions than any government ever could. These things have to come from within a family structure. They almost always have to because while the government can make the, the issue worse – and it can help protect a little bit against it, it can't stop it. It can't stop it. That has to come from your schools and your churches and your families, the institutions that conservatives should be working hardest right now to defend and protect. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 after the hour brings us one of my favorite people in all of Arizona. That's John Dombrowski, head of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. His show, The Word on Wealth, is found here on this station every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. J.D., April 6th. Happy Tuesday. April 6th. Happy Tuesday, Seth. Hey, of course, this is the day that I believe the U.S. voted to enter World War One. Is that a fact? On this date, yes. That... And, um, yeah, it's, that's what it's uh, saying. 82 to 6 declared war against Germany. The U.S. Senate voted. 
shows you yeah, how, um, in in retrospect, you know how terrible World War One was. Oh my God! Um, right, it was known then to be the war that ended all wars, and right. it shows you the misunderstanding of human nature to say something like that. Yeah, and but, it was interesting. I was watching last night. It was a Ken Burns uh, kind of a biography about um, um, Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And his he was in World War One, mm-hmm. went through his whole thing, but showing some of the graphics on that was just. Just unbelievable right. what, what really, these men had to endure. When you looked in their eyes, there was nothing there. Right. I right. mean, uh, who could live through something like no that? No kidding. And deal with that? It's awful. No kidding. No kidding. Anyway. Well, worth watching, though, and recommending yes. so that we can appreciate uh, so much more the case that we um, that we enjoy today. John, uh, markets weren't great today. Um, no. And if you want to say something about that, that's great. Otherwise, I wanted to ask you something else. Because sure. I something I've now noticed happening with greater frequency on Twitter, people on Facebook probably have the same thing. You get these, I guess they're sponsored uh, uh, messages. They're sponsored tweets or they're sponsored uh, Facebook um, recommendations or ads that give you all kinds of financial advice. Like I was right. looking at one today about one that says cancel your car insurance. Right. Uh, The headline doesn't match what it says. But in any event, what do you think of these kinds of things? Are they worth looking at or are they just what 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 am I looking at when I look? Well, they're they're basically ads, right? They're creative ways to get information in front of you to get you to click on something so that they could collect information. It's interesting. I was just thinking about this as just before we got on the air. And, you know, there's so many angles Seth, that we have information coming to us. Right. Email, text message. Phone calls, landlines, cell phones, digital fencing, you know, when you're in an area or Something in a called store. talk radio. Talk radio. Yes. Right. <laughs> Something just pops up on your yes. phone. TV ads, Facebook, Google, as you mentioned. Yeah, I know. And yeah. this is how they're targeting us, yeah. right? And it's all because of our online presence or activity. Uh-huh. And all the information's being collected and used. You could say for your benefit, but some may think it's being used against you. So I'm probably noticing the increased frequency from these places because I'm doing so much research on on, on our segments, maybe, huh? It could very well be <laughs> okay. the case. That's and I going. think we're really in the infancy of this type yeah. of data collecting. And there's battles being fought in courts all, of, you know, all the time. I'm talking about your privacy. Sure. And it's online companies, and what they're doing is explaining or giving you the option of how your information is being used. Um, but cons- Aren't you concerned about your Social Security being out there? Well, what about your online presence and everything that you're doing being uh, exploited? And that's basically what's happening. When you see an ad like this that you you sent over to me, eight eight reasons, right? If you're in Arizona, you need to do these eight things. Yeah, eight things, yeah, to be wealthy. Well, all of them are clicking on a site Uh that is offering some, you know, service or product. Uh Aha. So it's a marketing uh-huh. uh, campaign, uh-huh. and it's a nice, creative way to do it, to get you to make, get point that mouse over it and click it. And give them a little more information. Yet. Give them more information about you that, yeah. so that they can really target in on what you're doing. Yeah. It's, was, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and to be very careful with, obviously. Yeah, I would just say to people out there, if you don't care about people contacting you about all this stuff, you can, you can sift through the good and the bad. If you're a person like that, great. But there are a lot of people out there that are predators online yeah, yeah. that are trying to get your information. Be very cautious about clicking on something that you don't know who it's from. 
you can kind of hover over something sometimes with your mouse, yeah. and it'll actually tell you yeah. that it's not truly a Bank of America right. or Chase. Right. It's really somebody in Romania that yeah. sent that <laughs> yeah. uh, with a cut and paste of the bank's information. Yeah. Be very careful. Okay. It is just horrible out there what's going on. Good, good words, John. Good advice, yeah. John Dombrowski. Thank you, sir. You bet. Again, uh, check out the website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Listen to us on the Word on Wealth Saturday mornings on KTNT at 7 a.m. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipigan, an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. Good to talk to you, John. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. You as well, brother. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Put in a word for my good friends at Trades Unlimited, and they are good friends. I, uh, I've, I've met with them. I've gone down to their warehouse. Did you know foam roofs here in the Valley are a great option for many homes? And that's where Trades Unlimited comes into play. Not only do foam roofs help insulate from our extreme Arizona heat, which is well on the way, but they also help insulate your home from exterior noises and, most importantly, protect your house from water leaks. As I said, I've been down to their offices and warehouse and met the team over at Trades Unlimited. I can honestly say I was more impressed with the people they have working for them and the quality of craftsmanship they stand by. These are just good people. You're going to like them. They have an A-plus rating at the BBB, and I can see why. Most of their business is by referral or previous customers, and that to me always tells a lot about the company. They're venturing into this show now, and we are delighted to have them. But people who use Trades Unlimited are happy, and they come back. Quality and service is what you will come to know with Trades Unlimited. It's hot here in Phoenix. What you may want to know is that the hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the, fo- before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480 483 1775 480-483-1775 or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com. Tell them I sent you. I've been looking around for the probably what I guess you would call the best protest letters or statements to Major League Baseball outside of the kinds of things you've heard on this show. Who else is standing up for common sense, even when it doesn't uh, doesn't really directly affect their state. Marco Rubio turns out to have written a fantastic letter to the commissioner, uh, Robert Manford, of uh, Major League Baseball. He wrote, Dear Commissioner Manford, I write to ask you whether you intend to maintain your membership at Augusta National Golf Club. As you all are well aware, the exclusive members-only club is located in the state of Georgia. Last week, you decided that the best way to demonstrate your company's values, excuse me, demonstrate LMLB's values as a sport is by relocating this year's all-star game from Atlanta because of Georgia's revised election law. It is a decision that will have a bigger impact on countless small and minority-owned businesses in and around in and around Atlanta than the new election law ever will, and one that reeks of hypocrisy. Will Major League Baseball now end its engagement with the nations that do not hold elections at all, like China and Cuba? 
Will you end your lucrative financial relationship with Tencent, a company with deep ties to the Communist Party and one that actively helps the Chinese government hunt down and silence political dissidents? Since Major League Baseball now appears eager to use its platform to demonstrate unwavering support for fundamental human rights, will you cease your relationship with the Chinese government, which at this very moment is committing genocide against the Uyghur Muslims in Shenzhen province? I am, of course, under no expectation any of this will happen. Taking the All-Star game out of Georgia is an easy way to signal virtues without significant financial fallout. But speaking out against the Chinese Communist Party would involve a significant loss of revenue and being closed out of a lucrative market. In the end, as a citizen of a free nation, you and Major League Baseball have the right to speak out against laws in the U.S. you disagree with, even if it's on the basis of false information. What would be truly bold, however, is if you would speak out on behalf of the voiceless who face arbitrary imprisonment, forced sterilization, coerced abortions, rape, and other horrific acts at the hands of one of your business partners. I am under no illusion that Major League Baseball will sacrifice business revenue on behalf of its alleged corporate values. Similarly, I am under no illusion you intend to resign as a member from Augusta National Golf Club. To do so would require a personal sacrifice, as opposed to the woke corporate virtue signaling of moving the all-star game from Atlanta. Well, that's just really well done. Marco Rubio to the commissioner of Major League Baseball. That is really well said and well done. Uh, Marco Rubio is um, a senator who came out as a strong promise in the GOP uh, when he first got elected to the Senate and then I think hurt himself uh, with the base. Uh, I think he hurt himself with the base, particularly on issues having to do with immigration and on some of the senators he aligned himself with. But I'll, uh, I'll tell you, when he is really good, he is great, I think. It's a little bit like Lindsey Graham, maddening at times, but when he is good, he is really great. And this is Marco Rubio out of Florida writing on behalf of Georgia to Major League Baseball, which moved its all-star games to Colorado. A state, by the way, that is uh, something like less than 10 percent African-American, maybe even as low as 7 or 8 percent African-American, as opposed to Georgia, which I believe is a majority-minority state at this point, which I do believe has a majority of minorities in that state. Uh, hell, of a, hell, of, hell of a message. Hell of a message what Major League Baseball did here. And I just, I just, I don't understand how the argument we can't cease business operations in China because the money is too good. I just don't understand how that argument only works in tyrannies, as I said in my monologue. Why can't the argument be we're going to only work in the United States where there are elections and not in countries that don't have elections and do have real oppression, no matter what it does? 
to the bottom line. Why can't that be the moral philosophy? But the reason it can't be, the reason it can't be is because there's a preference here, a preference to either blame America first and be part of the woke crowd, the, the, uh, the transnational progressive woke crowd. It's not just a United States phenomenon. It is transnational. Um, and um, and when you have that transnational crowd, progressive crowd, you have the blame America first ideology that is front and center, front and center, which is why the U.N. will condemn allies of the United States more so than it will ever condemn countries like China, countries like Cuba, countries that in one case because of money and in the other case pity are nothing to this day much more than still gargles of third world authoritarianism I'm Seth we'll be right back welcome back to the Seth Liebson show 6025080960 Dana is in Chandler hi Dana hi Seth how are you Beautiful day in the neighborhood. It really is, isn't it? It is. I'm sitting outside enjoying every minute of it. Good. Masked? Don't even ask. Okay. Don't question. Okay. Um, so we're talking about economics and supply and demand, and I read a very interesting article today, and it sort of gets into the supply and demand of racism, and it appears that there just isn't enough of a supply of racism in Minnesota for the demand. So there's this project being funded by the University of Minnesota called Mapping Prejudice. And the article starts out by saying that house by house, block by block, Minnesotans are digging into the history of their homes and reckoning with what they find. Oh, my gosh. And what they're finding is these old racial covenants in their property records. Mm -hmm. And these covenants supposedly barred anyone who wasn't white from owning or residing in homes in certain neighborhoods. Now, interestingly enough, the year that this went to trial and the Supreme Court found these covenants to be unenforceable, 1948 should bring a bell in your mind as to an interesting year, the article goes on to say that these restrictive covenants also often discriminated against, and here's the interesting word, non-Christians. Oh, that is interesting. Yes. Having grown up in the Twin Cities, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, I know these neighborhoods. And these covenants were put in to specifically keep Jews Yeah, not not blacks, but Jews. Right. Yeah. But there's not enough supply of racism for blacks. Right. So they're taking these Jewish things and turning them into something that they never were about. So now anybody reading this article would think, oh... The Twin Cities was founded on racism. They didn't want blacks in their neighborhood. But interestingly enough, now Jews are considered Caucasian for their purposes, which is fascinating to me because never in our history have we ever been considered white people. So there are so many fascinating levels to this. Go ahead. Keep going. No, I just the whole article was. Well, what, what do you and what do you say about these people? Of um, 
in these houses that are renouncing these covenants thinking they're doing something that they're not. Okay, but they don't know even any better, right? I'm guessing in many cases, Dana, some of these young couples, they don't know the history you and I know. They're doing something. They're looking like fools. They're doing something that doesn't, they're pushing against an open door. Yeah, it's absolute lunacy. And the thing is, is if these were unenforceable covenants, what do you care what your deed says? If you bought your house, you have a mortgage on it, or you have a lease where you rent from the owner of that home, who cares what the deed says? Are you that bored? Yeah, or do they you are. Need to go and look for racism everywhere you can to prove how god awful you're. You have to look so because the supply isn't there. Gosh, you're great, Dana. Feel free if you had more, I'll keep you over. Otherwise, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Be right back.